The Doctorpreneurs Podcast with James Gupta and Dr. Greg Goodman. Transatlantic perspectives on the latest and greatest topics in healthcare innovation. Hello and welcome to episode four of the Doctorpreneurs podcast with me, James Gupta and Greg Goodman. James, awesome to be here. I'm uh, really excited about this week's topic. How are you doing? Yeah, doing good. Thanks. Um, Another sort of busy week, but um, yeah, an interesting one over here in England for uh, people in the NHS and doctors in particular, which leads us on to this week's topic, right? That's right. The NHS junior doctor strike. Pretty exciting. So from, from the US perspective, you know, I'd love to learn a little bit more. You, you know, I've read a few articles in the in the BBC and the Guardian. It seems like lots about pay, about weekend coverage. Can you give me an insider's perspective? Yeah, I'm not sure exactly how it's being reported um, over in America, but if you're reading the BBC and the Guardian, you're probably getting the same uh, coverage as us. And the media in general has been quite bad at reporting it. What is happening is junior doctors in the England is a term that basically covers anyone who's not a consultant or a GP. So in your terms, that'll be an attending. Anyone from year one of training right through to about year seven or eight in some cases will be considered a junior doctor, even if they're relatively senior in terms of clinical practice. It's that group who form the majority of doctors in England that are sort of the subject of this new dispute. Our Secretary for Health, Jeremy Hunt, is trying to roll out what he calls a seven-day NHS. He's trying to make sure that hospital services are available seven seven days a week and not just on weekdays, which it basically actually is already. Like people can go into hospital whenever they want. It's just as less, you know, routine appointments and clinics on weekends. That's the latest line that the government is following and they want to stick to it. In order to fund that, they're trying to cut the overtime pay for junior doctors by something like 30% by basically saying that up to 9pm on most days is considered normal working hours. More times on Sundays are considered normal working hours so that the NHS doesn't have to pay them a bit extra for, for working in really antisocial times. Yeah, a lot of doctors, some 98%, 97% voted in favour of strike action. We had one strike uh, last week, which was the first in 40 years, I believe. And there was another one planned for this week, which has been called off so that they can resin- uh, continue talks. One of the things I just want to highlight there, because it's so different from our structure, is the social versus unsocial time to work. The way my pay works is that paid basically a, a monthly salary, whether I'm working you know, 80 or 100 hours, whether it's a Monday or a Saturday mm. or Sunday. It's the same thing, you know, for the American listeners, you know, on the articles and and what I was reading is that, you know, during the week from a period of time is a certain pay rate on the weekends. It seems like there was some extra pay. And so they want to cut the extra pay and increase the time period in which the regular pay would happen. Is that correct? So, I mean, yeah, that's roughly right. So that's that's interesting to hear about the way that your pay work. And I imagine that's sort of similar to other doctors in the States as well. So what if you wanted to work more hours in a week or what if you had to work more hours in a week? Would you be reimbursed for those extra hours or would that just all be part of this blanket contract you agreed? So the blanket contract definitely in residency would be, so I, I would equate the residency that I'm doing to similar to like, you know, a junior doctor training. It would be the exact same. So you kind of sign up for a contract 
And depending on the rotation and the requirements of that rotation, you know, right now for the last, I don't know, five weeks, I've worked six, six uh, days a week. Every day to me is the same. I get one day off. The pay is the same. There's nothing extra versus, you know, as you, you know, which might be very different also from your attending, you know, once you kind of go beyond that. Where but Are you working your contracted hours doing that six hours a week? So it's contracted based on the requirements of whatever rotation or patient care that's required. So right now I'm on the cardiology service. And so, you know, I worked at one hospital last month, which had requirements that you were there at 5 a.m. Sometimes you'd stay there up till 7 p.m. Pretty long hours. Okay, you know. so th- those are the sort of hours that I, I think we used to have in the NHS. Uh, so that's the sort of thing that my, my dad will tell me about, for example, <laughs> like the sort of good old days of medicine or whatever. European Working Time Directive and various EU legislations largely, or at least dramatically curbed a lot of that back. But So what would happen in the States if, I don't know, say there was a, an, an outbreak or an epidemic of something whereby suddenly they needed to draft a lot more doctors in, which, and you were literally working like seven days a week or you were doing more hours in a week than you would otherwise do. Would you get paid for those extra hours, even at the same rate? Or would they just say, no, you you get this many thousand a month? I think it would be probably more on the, the latter end, so more salary-based. So the, the resident you know, part of things, I think, is very different from the, the NHS in terms of so the contracts or salaries. For example, if we have a high influx of patients or more patients, you can get called in. You wouldn't get paid any additional money for that. It's just kind of part of your contract, part of kind of the call schedule. We don't have this social, non-social. I, I think we, we don't have as many uh, opportunities to craft the hours that we work. It's kind of like you get a schedule, that's, you get no, That's paid. really interesting because that sort of makes sense to me in the sense of like, I know that America is generally more towards that. Like I think your employment laws are are generally more in favor of the employer. And then on the other side, we don't have the opportunities to change much in the NHS because it's like the only employ, the only major employer of doctors in the country. So we can't exactly up and leave anywhere else. Although a lot of Brits have been doing, they've literally been going to Australia and New Zealand, uh, just giving up on it entirely. If you're not happy with your working hours, why couldn't you just go to another hospital? And why doesn't that create an incentive for hospitals to compete on sort of salaries, flexi time and employee perks? So I want to just make one distinction between the residents. So the resident like myself, you sign into a contract, there's not much negotiation, right? Like your junior doctor training, kind of go through that. So you sign into a deal, it's, you know, every year you sign into a contract. There's Who not are you signing much... into that with? A specific hospital? With, or... a, with a hospital or residency program. And so you do that, you kind of go through the uh, the program and, you know, you have some ability to select when you're choosing which specialty you kind of apply to and which hospital. But mm-hmm. once you've kind of matched with our uh, system, you know, the, the, the number of years, there might be, if there was a significant problem, maybe you would leave, but most people finish the residency. Now, when you get out into the clinical world, there's many opportunities to do, you know, whether private practice, larger groups now. So in, in those cases... There's weekend hours, bonus hours, extra pay. You would definitely negotiate mm. into that. So there's a big distinction between kind of the, the major grind of a resident. There are some restrictions on the hours of the first year resident. You can work up to 16 hours, I think, safely. So they put some residency restriction hours, mm. uh, but the pay would be the same. So I have friends that are surgeons in residency that are you know up at 4 a.m. working 16 hours, six days a week getting paid probably very similar to me 
in internal medicine, maybe I'm working 12 hours. No, no difference. It's just kind of the, the profession or the specialty you sign up with, the hospital, and uh, those kind of pieces, at least during your clinical residency training, there's not too much negotiation options, mm. um, which seems a little bit different than the NHS where if you're working weekends and, and nights where people supposedly don't want to work or want a little bit more social time, you're getting some extra, uh, extra well, no. pay. It's no, it's not. It's not so much that. It's like you'll you'll be put on a rotation in the same way, but it's just some rotations are banded higher than others. Like if they are always night shifts or always weekends or something like that. And certain specialties have more of those rotations. So some some specialties of junior doctor are hit more by this contract than others. So it's it, it's just sort of luck of the draw, and it depends on what you're doing during that few months. So we don't get a choice in it. It's it's just interesting to hear that. A sim- this program in the states is similar i would have assumed that it was a lot much more of a free market in your case and i thought like different hospitals would have to compete on their residency programs in the same way that universities do they've got to offer the people coming in something they've got to you know offer them a, a social life around side it and perks and things like that it sounds like both systems i imagine other places in the world just manage to tap into the sort of you know, how determined and sort of the goodwill of doctors coming through the system are and use that to make them sort of (laughs) work to within an inch of their life. You know, most physicians are really hardworking, dedicated people that want to do good work and are willing to put in the hours, you know, Mm. upfront the contract, you know, if you get to go to a top place, there's no opportunity to negotiate salaries as in early, I guess in the the UK terms, junior doctor, You, you kind of take the package, you work hard, you do the right things, and then hopefully, you know, when you graduate, there's definitely, from a free market standpoint, I think a lot more opportunities to explore, yeah. you know, private okay, practices yeah, that's, and okay, other so things. Part of it is, yeah, yeah. That, I mean, yeah, a lot of things do that, I guess. It's sort of like saying that, yes, it's going to be a really tough few years, but <laughs> you just keep your head down now and, and don't question it, and it'll all be fine a couple of years from now. And um, one of the things that I was interested in that I, that I was reading on was the fact that the weekend seemed to be a big piece of this whole debate this whole uprising with the junior doctors is is that is that a main point or it's the main point insofar as this is the narrative that politicians have been using so my, my views on this and it, it's it's not the most it's not like an incredibly uncommon view but it, it sounds a little bit conspiracy there's a good argument that the conservative government we've got at the moment for, for whatever reason wants to just cut the amount of expenditure on the nhs so they're looking for a reason to cut doctors pay or cut corners where they can the way the reason they're sort of pushing at the moment is they've concocted some sort of studies that say patients are more likely to die uh, if they go in on weekends which apparently isn't true when you sort of adjust for the sort of variables and you sort of take it into account properly but they're they're claiming that that's because the nhs is understaffed and that doctors aren't working as hard on weekends basically so they're saying they need to fund a seven-day nhs so it can have a full t a full sort of staffing of doctors on Saturday and Sunday as well. And they're saying that to do that, they can only do it if they stop paying doctors this extra pay on weekends. So Um, so it's about getting the seven-day coverage, producing good quality care seven days, not increasing the costs because the, the the weekends generate more costs than the uh, the seven day the, the other um, five days. Is that right? That that, that is their line. That that's, is that that's is their, their logic. Line. I, I, I just point out just on behalf of like <laughs> an old junior doctor medical students, they are lying about it. It's it's sort of well shown that they're just sort of 
these weekend statistics they come up with are just not true. It's not a good plan to um, save money, save money, and you still got to support. The problem isn't doctors not being there on weekends because they actually are there on weekends. The problem is other ancillary services aren't there on weekends, so you can't necessarily discharge patients or get a pharmacist on weekends and that sort of thing. It's, so it's the, the physical therapists, the discharge planners, the social workers, the team, yeah. right? The whole team has to be there. Uh, I guess the best way to describe it would be it's no solution to a problem that didn't even exist in the first place, but they're peddling it uh, as far as they can. Because we're talking entrepreneurship and, and innovation, what would be some of your solutions to you know, how the NHS can achieve some of the goals, creating a seven-day system with high-quality care? What would the model look like? You're you're nudging me to say something that's going to get me in hot water. <laughs> Free market, I guess, or the American um, way. Where, where I, are we going here, James? I, I've got complicated views on this, and I know I'm not saying I'm right or whatever, but just you know, my perspective on it as someone who we can you know, let you share your 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 own opinion. Yeah, the opinions, James, of James, this is, yeah right. the opinions of James do not necessarily represent anyone. His medical uh, school no. or any yes, his uh, startup. <laughs> You school. know, uh, opinion. This is this is off the record, right? I would still very much like treatment if I should fall ill. But no, I think you're going to like this answer because I think the American way is part of the answer. I think the NHS, we should be incredibly proud of, of what it's done. And I think it has been a sort of a model of how healthcare should be practiced for various reasons. It may not be the right structure we need for 21st century healthcare. And I think because we're brought up with the NHS and because the NHS is essentially the only provider of health services in the UK, in England, we get confused when we talk about improving healthcare. We assume that must necessarily mean improving the NHS, but the NHS is just one part of that solution. I think having a top-down organisation for healthcare like this leads to all the sort of inefficiencies that you see. Uh, It leads to the bureaucracy and the staffing problems. It leads to doctors not being able to sort of compete for patients and and things like that. When we talk about privatising healthcare, we all sort of jump back in horror because, no offence, we sort of look at your guys' system and we hear horror stories coming out of that and people not getting insurance and that sort of thing. When you look at your guys' system, I think you guys recognise there are problems with it as well. But those problems aren't because of the free marketplace or because it's private. Those problems, to me, seem like they're because it's an oligopoly of like one or a handful of really big players essentially price-fixing together and influencing policy. Whereas if you had a truly free market system, that would look something a lot more like Uber for doctors, where you'd have a bottom-up system, the best doctors rose to the top through transparent racings, prices were kept low because of sort of competition between sort of hundreds and thousands of doctors. Doctors could choose when they wanted to work, they could see more patients, patients can choose who they wanted to get see by, and you wouldn't have this sort of top-down, really heavy administration and all the bureaucracy that comes with the NHS now, but you would give patients direct access to all the staff that are basically everything everyone likes about the NHS. And the other side that you're just talking about is the patient, right? I think one of the things in the States is the the access problem. You know, you could go to an urgent care, you know, depending on the different types of models, like you're saying, you, you know, you could use the uh, some of the newer players like a pager or heel to go in and, and, and access a physician or healthcare. I wonder, is there an opportunity to take technology and take some of the exciting, you know, new innovative strategies and really apply that to kind of cover the seven days? Is there a way to, you know, scalably allow certain staff, whether it's social workers or physical therapists, is there a way to bring those kind of tech players and utilize them in a smarter way to to achieve this seven day goal? 
I think so. And I think I think you got it spot on when you said about using using the technology effectively. You're in this world and you'll see sort of all sorts of really exciting sounding examples of sort of med tech and AI and machine learning and, and these sorts of things. I, I'm as excited about those as anyone else. We've got all the technology we need already to dramatically improve healthcare and get it set up for the 21st century. Just basic things like cloud computing, for example, without any special processing or AI things on it, being able to store your medical records in the cloud, being able to use your biometrics to access them means that hospitals don't need to hold on to your medical records anymore. It means that you can be in control of your own healthcare. You can grant uh, individual clinicians access to it and which parts they access. And that means that you can choose your own provider in a way that you couldn't do before. Um, increasing patient education means that obviously we're not at a stage yet where patients can just prescribe medications to themselves. But it's a lot more realistic now to expect a patient can use a tool to diagnose themselves with hypertension and that tool can suggest what they need to order in order to treat it. That idea is getting less and less ridiculous um, every day. For some listeners, it's crazy to think that, you know, you could go take your, your blood pressure, measure it a few times. The, uh, the technology could tell you to measure it at different times during the day and then based on your kind of profile depending yeah. on your age, your, your race, you know, a number of different factors basically prescribe you based on the evidence of first line hypertensive drug and then track that over time. And then if things aren't getting better, then schedule an appointment with your physician. Exactly. No, exactly. so it's not that's not saying get rid of the doctor. That's just saying over time, as we learn more about certain conditions, we enter a realm of precision medicine where we're not we don't need expert judgment on it anymore. We've, we've boiled the algorithm down so much that we can write a few simple rules, you know, boil it down to a few different types of patients. And the computer is then doing the same thing that the doctor will be doing, sort of checking the database and the protocols. And it frees doctors up to spend their time on things that are a bit more nuanced that we don't know much more about. And, uh, you know, where the time's better spent. It's, a, it's very exciting. Just getting back to the whole NHS, you know, what are some of your friends kind of more in the entrepreneurial space do, you know, or even the junior doctors, I mean, what was the impact to them and what was the impact to, to the patient groups this week or, you know, last week with the strike? From what I hear, uh, and I, I was in lectures on, on the day, still being a student, uh, not a doctor, from what I hear, it wasn't that bad. So the main impact was that elective surgeries had to be postponed that were scheduled to take place on that day, but that was done, you know, well in advance. And obviously they're elective, so it, it, they weren't urgent or anything. That obviously caused problems for patients, uh, but I think by and large people understood. Patients are largely on doctor's side because they recognise that this is potentially an existential threat to the NHS. And it wasn't like there were no doctors there. So all of the junior doctor posts on that day were covered by their consultants who were drafted in. The same amount of doctor hours were present on the day and it just meant that patients were being treated directly by a consultant rather than by one of their juniors. So a consultant is, you know, for the American listeners, and, and the attending. Okay, just to make sure. So yeah. the the attendings were were covering the uh, the junior doctors. That's a first. Yes, it was. Yes, <laughs> and there was a lot of cancelled golf. Exactly. The real impact of the junior doctor strike was golf. Well, was that, was suffered. that the attendings had to work harder and do some of the notes and uh, probably do some of the grinding work? I think they quickly realized the value of the resident or the junior doctor in the team. Well, to be, to be fair to our um, attendings, consultants, it, it, there was no hint that this was a begrudging thing that they did. They, they did it willingly. Uh, they came down, they wanted to 
sort of stand in solidarity with the junior doctors. It, it wasn't like a... I think they understand the value of their junior doctors over here uh, quite a bit, and they were just sort of happy to stand up to the government and for, fight for a cause that they believed in. The debate is not settled, right? It, it doesn't seem... It no. It's kind of come to a to a halt, but no decisions have been made. Nothing's really moved very far. Wasn't there, there there's like the British Medical Association, yes. aren't they pretty, can you explain that relationship with the NHS and, and how that works? So the BMA, British Medical Association, is essentially the trade union for doctors. They're our advocacy group, basically, and uh, so they fight for the, 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 the rights of, of doctors, not the rights of doctors, we've got rights, it's, you know, they, they fight in favour of doctors, generally. They've taken a strong stand against the government on this and have sort of been publicly calling them out on the various things they've been saying. No, it's still going on because our health secretary, who is incredibly unpopular with pretty much everyone I can... I, I, I've not met anyone who is in support of what he's doing, whether they're conservative or not, is really determined to push this through. Uh, I'm I'm not fully sure why even. It seems like an amount of effort that he's going to to carry on doing this. He's actually got doctors striking for the first time in 40 years. It's such bad PR for him and the whole party. Either he just doesn't care, either he expected it, maybe he hoped that they'd do it because he thinks public opinion will turn on us eventually. I, I really don't know. I, I'm not sure how it's going to end. I would like to think junior doctors will get the deal out of it and they'll back down he may or may not do either way i think there's a lot that needs to be done to improve the nhs's attitude towards its um staff and the people that sort of spend their lives working to it in in general i think it needs to be more flexible with them ideally it should pay them more but generally people would be happy if they could just maintain a better social life and have some more flexible working whilst in the nhs that makes a huge difference i think one of the challenges in medicine is you know, medicine's a seven-day-a-week profession for the most part. I know as a resident, you know, physician in the States, it's just almost expected that you work many weekends and you kind of give up a lot, you know, during the training years. I'm excited. I, I think it's I think it's incredible that, you know, so many junior doctors got together. It shows the power of, you know, the, the position of the junior doctors to, to really take a stance, you know, hopefully achieve the end goal, which is ultimately, hopefully, good patient care, get you know salaries that make sense and in a lifestyle balance that works while creating it it seems like the overarching goals of the system i mean yeah no i totally agree it's it's amazing that you guys are hearing about it over there as well it has been a fantastic sort of like sign of community that's sprung up over the last few months yeah all of the lifestyle stuff the salaries they're not they're not even fighting for any of that they're just fighting not to have their pay cut which is what makes the whole thing so ridiculous yeah, even the pay structure I think is pretty complicated. So maybe they'll go to um, like a, a salary pay. I don't know. You know, it, 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 yes, I guess it is complicated actually. It, it's quite structured in the sense that you've you've got you've got bands that just go up based on like where you're at in your training, and then you've got you know you've got standard hours pay and you've got antisocial hours pay. That that's about it really. It's fairly standard how are your set are they sort of per hospital or yeah it's per kind of per residency salaried at least during the uh you know the the years that you're a resident and every year i think almost every hospital you you go up and pay you know maybe a, depending a few thousand dollars you know more every year what, what um, do people pick them on do they presumably 
wherever you choose, the pay is going to be roughly the same. Do people compete on sort of research opportunities and the sort of reputation of the hospital? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So that I think the most important thing for them, for most people, they care about, you know, the institution, the academics behind it, you know, the research opportunities, uh, the affiliations, you know, that can kind of get them to the next level in their career. So depending on what you're interested in, I think much of the decision is not to do with pay. It's more to do with the opportunities at the hospital, the type of training, the type of people involved in the program. You know, pay is important, but I think one of the things people realize, especially in our kind of marketplace, is that go train, go to a really top-level institution, depending on what you're interested in, if that uh, if that's appropriate or if that fits you. But I always take my own pathway. I'm actually at a, a smaller community hospital. You know, it was one of the largest for-profit private equity companies bought a hospital chain. And so I'm very interested in some of the opportunities that they're doing in the community and, you know, what they stand for and, you know, where the kind of future is going and the, the, the opportunities to kind of treat people in the community and kind of think about where the future is going. Less so, you know, academically, although the hospital is associated with the same medical school I went to. So there's many reasons you can okay. kind of choose where you go. It's just interesting. You said you said then so so many different words that uh, some like uh, private equity large hospital. Now all the British people listening are going to think they freak of, out, right? You work in a <laughs> in a volcano that's in the, the ground layer or like a volcano crater or something like that. To so, to give credit to our work, it's a it's a pretty new model. I think they've uh, they've done a lot to um, build a community healthcare out in the community with quality based care at a lower cost. Maybe on the uh, on the UK side that. That would seem crazy. That what are they? What are they thinking? But it's a it's a much more free market. You know, how can we create value not only for the system, for the patients, for the community in a cost-effective manner? So yeah, no, that, I mean that sounds fantastic, and it's you know it's something that we've not got as big an incentive to do here because you know it's it's government money and it's people want value for the NHS. When you're sort of pushed up against a wall and you've really got to deliver efficiencies and come up with innovative new ways of doing things, that's when you think of the innovative new ways of doing it. When you're spending someone else's money, you've not got that pressure. So if you're working at a place that, you know, their business model is to presumably to sort of be able to offer services that were previously only available to sort of relatively wealthy people to more sort of like lower middle class, is that right? Our goal is to offer, you know, community medicine, I think. So mm. say, for example, you're in a, you know, Boston's got a ton of academic big institution hospitals, right? Like mm. the Massachusetts General Hospital or Brigham and Women's Hospital, which has incredibly top level academic, you know, physicians, institutions. What if you could take that kind of level, the, the, the goal or mindset is, what if you could take that kind of knowledge and level of care? And bring it out to some of the other parts of the greater Boston area. So, you know, more into the communities yeah, sure. and, and produce the same level of care at a cheaper cost. So you don't have to go to the major academic, probably more expensive, ultimately, uh, centers to get treatment. Could you get yeah, no, that's, that's you, you what, know, basic that's, stuff I, done? I, yeah. That's what I thought you meant. But obviously, if that's your business model, then that hospital absolutely has to achieve those efficiencies and delivering value because otherwise they will just cease to exist. They'll, they can't compete at the same price with Brigham and Women's. Exactly, because they don't have the same name. But, you know, the, the question is whether or not you can produce uh, good quality healthcare, you know, using the model. It's interesting. It's a, it's a very exciting 
concept, many new payment models involved. So that's kind of what got me excited. No, that sounds really cool. It makes total sense why, you know, you'd want to go there and sort of be part of that while it's something that's a bit up and coming rather than a more established one. Exactly. Get a, you know, more of an entrepreneurial community <laughs> feel. Yeah. You know, I've, I've always picked the different opportunity. You've got you to see where the future is going for those entrepreneurs listening. You got yes, to, uh, no, that's, uh, that, I think we missed the, uh, the traditional word of advice uh, bit at the beginning. I think that's a good one. Yeah, the, the Ignite section. We, we missed it because of the, the exciting debate. So we we'll did. Continue. We just got straight into it. We'll continue. But uh, I guess the, the exciting bit for the, uh, the Ignite section is you know, go where, where others aren't seeing opportunity and uh, see if there's opportunity before it, before it becomes noticeable to others. Yeah, so. there are companies say that about hiring as well. So you, you want to hire someone who's on the trajectory rather than someone who's sort of already peaked or someone who's like, you know, top of their game, but they're really expensive. Look for someone that you can train up into something amazing. Yeah, pick the rookie superstars, right? Yeah, the rookie, you know, rookie the, superstars. The, yeah, the, uh, the unpolished. The up-and-comers, exactly. The, uh, the, the folks that are, uh, have a lot of talent and uh, maybe not as much experience, but you know, can really achieve a lot and uh, are exciting to work with. So James, let's uh, jump into the Ask Doctrepreneur section. I think this is a really great question about mentorship. So the question is, how do you find great mentors and how do you build kind of a a great mastermind team around you? What are your thoughts? I I know I've always, you know, been really blessed. I've had a lot of incredible mentors over the years that I think have really enriched my career and uh, help me to grow tremendously in different aspects and, and kind of learn a lot and learn much quicker than making maybe some of my own mistakes and, and kind of driving, you know, my path and trajectory. Do you, do you have some mentors or, or some, you know, people that you look up to when you're looking for business decisions or life decisions? There's no one that I've got like a sort of what, like a quite a established mentor relationship with. But obviously there are people who are basically mentors to me who've been giving me advice and stuff. It's really helpful because as as I've got better in the sort of stuff that I'm doing and I'm in a position where in certain areas I can give advice to people, I realize that a good mentor or someone who's done it before and is going to be honest with you can save you like thousands of, of pounds or dollars or just sort of weeks of time pursuing a path that you don't know is totally a no-go. But because they've done it before, they can just say right off the bat, no think about something else so it is worth surrounding yourself with people who know the different aspects of what you're doing in terms of finding them i just think people you'll always be surprised at you know how willing to respond a lot of people are even people who are sort of you know very big on social media and sort of do all of these press conferences and whatever else because at the end of the day they know that they've had help getting to where they are now and many of them are actively looking for opportunities to get involved in this stuff sort of thing just reach out to people send a short email that sort of respects their time but tell them about you and what you're doing be genuine about why you want their help ask them a you know a good question not just a standard run-of-the-mill thing that you could have googled more often than not people will um, reply to you really great advice a lot of the very very successful people like you're saying are actually very willing to share and and lend you know support especially to passionate or up-and-coming entrepreneurs with great ideas people that are excited about the space and you know providing some value I, i think i've been very blessed like i was saying that you know, a lot of people respond and give you respect their time, like you're saying, send a short email and kind of ask them for, you know, very specific questions along the journey. 
also give back to them in any way that you can. If you can create that value for them and, and see how you can help them, it makes a, makes a huge difference. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a fair point. But even if there's you know not much you can offer at the beginning, I think just just putting yourself out there, being genuine with them, they'll get a lot out of it just by you know helping the next generation. And then if it becomes a long term relationship and you want to explore um, like an equity position or some other sort of tangible reward for them, then why not? Definitely. And so shout out to the entire entrepreneur community. If you're looking to really connect. You guys have built a really great community, excited to, to kind of work along with you to, to support the mission and, you know, the goals of helping people achieve success in healthcare and, and technology and, you know, help doctors play a bigger role in the entrepreneurial community. Thanks, Greg. Yeah, so Doctorpreneurs is a great platform. It's it's how uh, we got in touch with you and that, you know, now we're ending up doing this together. So, you know, it's, it's a great platform. A lot of people in the same field sort of working and discussing things together. Yeah, if you're looking for some advice or mentorship, that's probably a good place to start. Uh, certainly all of us on the team have our own sort of experiences uh, in different aspects of medical entrepreneurship. Our details are available on the site. We set up Skype or email people fairly frequently. For those listening, feel free to reach out to us. I know both me and James would be happy to uh, provide advice and mentorship and anything we can do to help you along the journey. Let's end with our clinic of greatness. Okay, so I wanted to finish off with the clinic of greatness, which is a quote we do that sort of ties into the show. We've been talking a lot about the junior doctor strikes in the UK. A lot of junior doctors are sort of disheartened and sort of stressed of having to go through this. But Mahatma Gandhi... First they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win. The government, NHS employers, is fighting us with all their might at the moment. The next step is that we will win, we will be fine. I absolutely love that, James, and and I think that's so inspirational in terms of the junior doctors have, have really risen to the occasion in terms of getting together and standing for their views it's incredibly empowering. It's done fa- um, we've, we've done fantastic. And uh, yeah, the fact that you're hearing about it and, and talking about it and there were other people in the States are as well shows just how far reaching some of this stuff is. There's so much opportunity for the junior doctors, you know, as part of the clinic of greatness, looking at opportunities in times of, you know, dispute. It's a really exciting opportunity, I think, as the junior yeah. doctors get together to really drive home how can we be more innovative how can we do better i think that's a great way to leave it all right well thank you for listening everyone greg great to do this again looking forward to episode five do we have a topic for that we i don't think we have a topic yet for five james We'll, we'll see what's hot in the uh the healthcare news it'll be exciting Feel free to send some suggestions in, guys, as well as suggestions for the uh, Ask a Doctorpreneurs section. You can find us on Twitter and at doctorpreneurs.com. Thank you. From Greg and James, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, remember to subscribe to the show and check out www.doctorpreneurs.com for more.